You're listening to the Young People in the Arts podcast. Talks, discussions and thinking intended to empower change in the next generation of arts leaders. To find out more, please visit ypia.co.uk, follow ypia underscore UK on Twitter or find us on Facebook and Instagram. This episode sees YPIA project manager and regional ambassador for Gloucestershire, Grace Green, speak to executive coach Michael Garvey. If you're listening to this in March 2021, do take a look at our event with Michael on the 11th of March, where you'll have the opportunity to find out more about executive coaching and observe a 30-minute coaching session to see if it might be of interest for you. Hi everyone, I'm Grace and I'm a project manager and regional ambassador for Gloucestershire here at YPIA. By day, I work as the development manager at the Three Choirs Festival and today I'm speaking with Michael Garvey. Michael, thank you for coming on the podcast. Pleasure, lovely to be here, Grace. Um, So I wonder if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you do. Certainly. So hello, everybody. My name is Michael Garvey. I live in Cardiff and I've been here for seven or eight years now. Um, And I moved here because I took a job um, back whenever it was in 2013 or so uh, to be the director of the BBC National Orchestra and Chorus of Wales. And um, I've worked in orchestras uh, for a long time. So before that, I was in Cambridge working for the Academy of Ancient Music. And before that, I was the general manager of the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. Um, And I've had a whole range of jobs in the broadest sense of classical music for uh, almost my entire career, actually. I started um, at a record company. I worked for Classic FM, choosing the music for Henry Kelly, if that's a, a famous thing to say. Um, and uh, and I've worked for the Arts Council in England as well as one of their regional um, relationship managers. And um, uh, about 18 months or so back, I stopped working for BBC Now and um, decided to kind of embark on a freelance career um, as a kind of uh, consultant and um, kind of support person, if you like, for want of a better word. And my first big contract uh, in that freelance uh, uh, period was to work with Nicola Benedetti and help her set up the Benedetti Foundation. Um, and I was fascinated by that opportunity, I suppose, because it's almost unheard of to be able to have the chance to work at, at a very, very ground zero level starting organization we literally opened a bank i opened a bank account took for months it was the most boring and (laughs) tedious job i've ever done actually but it took forever um uh, and uh getting charitable status and incorporating the organization beginning to work on uh, board development and business structure and financial planning all that kind of stuff and uh, it's very rare to have that opportunity to begin from uh from ground zero um so that was a wonderful thing to do and of course to work with nicola as well was um quite special uh, and since that contract I've done various other things and particularly actually most interest, most recently really have uh, 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 trained as an executive coach which is why I'm talking to you today here at YPIA um, and an executive coach uh, I did some some training qualifications in that and interestingly um, the qualifications only proved to me actually that I've been coaching people throughout my entire career I never had quite realized that that's what it was um, I suppose mm. um, the qualifications were there simply to well, they t- obviously they, they kind of gave me a credibility and a, uh, an external benchmark for so other people could uh, feel confident in what I was doing. But actually, my coaching style of management uh, with my colleagues over the past, whatever it is, couple of decades, has always been one uh, of, of coaching. And those qualifications just kind of uh, put a rubber stamp, if you like, on it. So I'm uh, doing that now as an independent person, coaching a whole range of people, 
within the arts sector broadly, but um, uh, I'm also broadening out into, into other sectors as well. And I'm combining that at the moment with an independent consultancy for various organisations and uh, fundraising and philanthropy uh, businesses as well. Gosh, that sounds so interesting. And um, actually, I wonder if, you know, for any of our listeners that don't know what executive coaching is, I wonder if you could just give us a really quick summary. Uh, I'll try. Um, executive coaching, it sounds like a fancy title. Uh, it's not dissimilar or it's broadly the same rather as professional coaching or career coaching or personal coaching. Kind of almost replace any word with uh, with the executive and it's, it's some type of coaching. And essentially coaching is the meeting of two equals who um, discuss a topic and the coachee, uh, the client usually, that's what they're called, uh, wants to figure out a problem or work through uh, an issue or change something in their life and they're not 100% uh, convinced as to how to go about do, doing that. So the coach uh, works with the, the, their client and um, through a series of challenging or probing questions helps the client reflect upon the issue that they're dealing with and helping them to see it from a range of different angles and to um, come up I guess with a solution that they are most comfortable with as a result of the coaching conversation. Now it's very important to stress that A is very confidential so whatever happens in a coaching conversation doesn't get shared with anybody else which puts the client at absolute uh, ease to be able to be as honest and transparent about their issue as they possibly can be. And the other issue uh, or the other important thing from coaching is that the client uh, and the coach are, as I say, are equals and the coach is not there to give advice or to tell the client what to do or in any way act as a sort of guru or entire, you know, a wise mentor type person. That's not about it at all because coaching is, is essentially about trying to help the individual find and come up with the solution to their problem themselves rather than being told it by somebody else. <clears throat> and the science, for want of a better word, behind that is that you are far more likely to carry through and deliver on an, a solution you've come up with yourself than if someone else has told you about it. So the coaching conversation is to try to extract that or draw that out of the client so that they feel that they've got what it is that they want uh, in order to move forward through their issue. Brilliant. No, that's such a clear definition there actually and you know you've very kindly written a brilliant article for the YPIA blog as well so if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about what executive coaching means please do go and check that out as well. So to kick us off then uh, this is the section of the podcast we like to call career show and tell and where you know this is where we ask guests to share three objects they've held on to which have interesting stories behind them. So, Michael, what have you brought along to share with us today? I'm terribly excited about this, Grace, because I, I had to wrap my <laughs> brains. And actually, it wasn't as hard as I thought it might be, because ah. all the things, all the things that I'm going to show you are within, literally within reach of me where I sit at my desk. But I'm going to begin oh, with fantastic. this. So, um, uh, obviously, those on the podcast, I shall describe it. Uh, but this is essentially a pottery set of green welly boots. Uh, miniature size that is essentially a pen pot holder and uh, this sits on my desk in fact this has sat on my desk uh, in every business I've worked in since I was given it and I was given it by uh, my friends at the Arts Council of England when I worked for their office in Cambridge about 
too many years ago for me to remember. Um, and uh, and it's a it's a fantastic pen box. It holds loads of pens and pots. And it's a very happy reminder of a competition that I won when I worked for the Arts Council. And oh. we had an away day. And uh, we uh, in the Cambridge office went for we took a Saturday. Interestingly, it was kind of it was kind of a voluntary type thing, sort of a team bonding type thing. And um, in typical East Anglian style, and I can say that because I am an Essex boy originally. Uh, <laughs> We um, held a competition to see who could throw a welly the furthest. And oh, wow. I won. And so <laughs> this is my, uh, this is my oh, prize wow. for, winning, uh, for winning the welly wanging competition. And uh, it's a very happy re- reminder. And it sits on my desk every day and is very useful, uh, but also uh, helps me remember my happy friends at the Arts Council. Oh, fantastic. What a career highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Now, second item is, uh, well, the, the next two things both hang on my wall. Um, and mm. this one is um, slightly more complicated uh, and a bit more formal and serious. So I'm, sh- I'm uh, showing Grace uh, a framed brass plaque. And in, uh, inside the very nice uh, red frame is uh, a plaque that um, has, it's hard to describe, but it's got two fish um, and uh, two dates on it. The dates are 1952 and 2012 Uh, and they are kind of uh, written above a crown and the fish are on either side of the plaque and this plaque was given to me by uh, the people who organized the um, Thames Diamond Jubilee pageant in 2012 which I was sort of variously involved with because the Academy of Ancient Musical I was running at the time um, performed and participated in the Thames pageant on the river and we were invited to perform Handel's water music and play it on a boat as part of that massive flotilla of boats that celebrated the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. In fact on the back of the, the frame there's a very nice little memento and a, a little written <laughs> note that suggests that uh, these, I'll tell you what these were. So uh, essentially what I've got in the frame is a medallion. These medallions held up the velvet swagging decorations on some of the music herald barges. And wow. the, AAM, the AAM was one of those music herald uh, barges. And uh, it, I mean, the, if, you, if you've ever seen the, the telly programme, it's utterly miserable day. It poured with <laughs> rain all day and it was just kind of I think it was May or June time but it was the worst possible weather and so we had to put put these very precious um, baroque instruments inside a clear perspex tent on top of the oh, boat wow. and sail it down the tent so it's the most logistical actually not the most logistical challenging uh, thing I've ever done but it was a fascinating project and um, and that's a very yeah. happy moment it's, it's one of those things that um, you know when you watch or when your parents rather <clears throat> watch the Antiques Roadshow and you say to them what are you going to give me that I can be uh, act, act as an heirloom <laughs> this will be my heirloom that my children will take the Antiques Roadshow in 50 years time and that will probably wow. I hope be some kind of nice little story attached to it for them Oh, that's brilliant. No, that's so incredible. And um, hopefully you've got a number three for us as well. So very briefly, number three is sitting up on the wall and I can't, I could, well, I'm not going to show you because I have to move the camera. Uh, it's essentially, <laughs> it's um, uh, a, a leaving gift that I was given when I left the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. And it's entitled MG's A to Z of BBC Now. And my lovely <laughs> colleagues there um, put together, uh, cut out out of news bits of paper, an A to Z of everything that I had ever said or participated in or experienced or got terribly wound up and annoyed by at the BBC. Um, so it goes through, there's wow. a list of about a, a dozen items under each letter, even for X, Y and Z at the end. Um, and that's, uh, that sits on the wall there. And that is, again, a very happy memory of my lovely time at BBC Now. 
Oh, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for digging around and um, pulling out those lovely career mementos to share with us. And we will be sharing pictures of these items on the YPIA blog. So do go take a look um, at those. So, Michael, I would love to ask you, uh, what's been your biggest challenge or learning curve um, in your career to date? Um, I had to think quite hard about this because uh, I don't want it to sound maudlin or difficult. And I appreciate, particularly in the current climate, um, the art sector is going through a massively difficult uh, uh, crisis. Let's be honest about it. Um, uh, And I... I'm not experiencing that in the same way that many other people are. Uh, I've not been furloughed and, and, and other people are in very difficult situations. So I just wanted to kind of add my sympathy and empathy towards that. Um, but <clears throat> it did bring to mind a period when I was very uh, new and young in my career. I was probably about 23, 24. And I was working for a record label at the time in their classical department. And they made me redundant. Um, out of the blue, completely unexpected, and uh, I was, like I say, 23, 24, very new, very uh, green, wet behind the ears, didn't know what I was doing. And that came as a massive shock to me. <clears throat> uh, and I uh, was sitting at home one day and uh, doing what you do at that point, thinking, okay, I've got to go find a job. I'll write to a couple of recruitment agents and see what they can find for me. And one of them, um, I was living in Whitechapel in East London at the time, and one of them was based in the city of London. Um, and one of them wrote back and said, or phoned up, whatever it was at the time, they didn't have the internet then, and um, uh, and said, yeah, actually, we have got a job. You could come and work for us for a bit, just doing some basic filing, data entry, kind of <clears throat> admin stuff. Uh, that will be, uh, you know, just something to do. And I was like, yeah, great, I'll do that. I need anything, frankly, at this stage, whilst I work out and, and, and find what I want to do uh, slightly longer term. So I went to work them and it was um uh, like i said it was in the city and i could walk there from my flat in whitechapel and because it was in the city and because i could walk there and because it was um a recruitment agency they did, they paid me quite well in fact they paid me far better there than i was getting paid in the arts because that's the way it works isn't it <clears throat> unfortunately and after about two or three weeks they liked me and i liked them and they said would you like a permanent job here and it was a really difficult decision because I could walk to work, I could get paid very well. Um, it wasn't boring work, and it was certainly uh, in an industry that was developing. And you know, I could, you know, I, I clearly had a, a, an aptitude for. But I had to think very hard whether I wanted to carry on and take all those plus points, or whether I wanted to put my time and energy and really follow my desire and passion, I suppose, to work in the arts and the creative industries. And um, it's been a formative decision actually I didn't think it was at the time and in fact I'm probably only recognizing it was 20 or so years later but to make that decision to not accept their job and to hold out and I was probably holding out for a further two to three months actually before I got something actually immediately after that well, at that period I then got that job at the Classic FM um, and it was only uh, it was a kind of a dangerous decision I suppose but one I really wanted to uh I felt convinced at the time it was the right thing to do, and it has proved correct over a period of time now, but it was quite formative at the, at the, at the, uh, when I made it, and I didn't really realise at the time. So that was perhaps kind of the biggest learning curve I've had. Mm, that's really interesting. And um, I'd also you know, love to know whether there's a particular project or, or piece of work that's really stuck out for you and, and has had sort of almost you know, the biggest impact on you, really, in your career. Um, well, entirely unrelated to that, uh, but it ha- partly because it happened 
literally 20 years later, um, but only as a result of me making that decision to work in the arts rather than to go off and work in, in HR or, or recruitment, whatever it might be. <clears throat> uh, I One of the, I guess my career highlights would be, um, alongside putting an orchestra on a boat in the rain, um, would be... Um, <laughs> working uh, to take BBC Now to Patagonia in Argentina. Um, and it, it was an enormous project. Uh, I mean, taking a, a, a symphony orchestra overseas at any time is an enormous project. It was particularly enormous because um, the infrastructure in Patagonia uh, actually didn't even exist. So um, they had to build a concert hall for us to perform in. And... Um, the the kind of planning and the preparation and the relationship building that was required in order to get to that stage was uh at least 18 months two years in the planning um and then to kind of uh f to be received and to have the, the necessary infrastructure to host a, an orchestra to ticket it to make sure that you know 2000 people came to the concert and, and it was broadcast and all that kind of stuff uh was a, a vast amount of work for for my colleagues and I at BBC now at the time and it sticks out to me as just a, a a wonderfully exciting if very difficult and hard work project but um if if i mean they 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 had to build a concert hall. We had to divert a, a charter flight. Um, they put on a special flight for us, which they don't usually wow. do, to take us from, from Buenos Aires down to Patagonia. Um, and if that wasn't enough, um, actually the, the, the most impactful thing, and the reason I bring this out as a project to talk with you this morning about, is because um, the way we were received when we got into that, that community in Patagonia was like nothing I have ever experienced. And we talk about the arts having an impact in the community and we talk about the arts being valuable for cohesion and for social development and for inclusion and all that kind of stuff. But I've never seen it as impactful as when essentially uh, Wales's National Orchestra went to uh, Patagonia to perform. Now, you might say, why Patagonia? There's a history there that I'll briefly tell you is essentially Patagonia is... Um, uh, a little bit of Wales in South America. 150 years ago, this was the point of the of the activity, uh, a group of, I think it was 25 Welsh people, left Aberystwyth, I think it was, and sailed on a tour ship from the Welsh coast down to uh, Patagonia. And the Argentine government at the time was looking to for people to colonise that bit of Argentina because it's essentially a desert. And um, they had tried people in South, Af South Africa, they tried some Australians, and then, then they asked the Welsh whether they wanted to come and help colonise this bit of Argentina. <clears throat> so uh, some Welsh people came and have stayed ever since. And uh, there are more people speaking Welsh in that part of the world than anywhere else other than Wales. I think that's a, that's a fact, uh, and and that's they incredible. have they have this amazing uh, kindred spirit and a kind of uh, love for their heartland, which is uh, which is Wales, and so they were very eager that Wales's national orchestra would come and celebrate this amazing anniversary. So they invited us, um, and like I say, all, all all the community came out. We worked in special schools, we worked in community centres, worked in old people's homes. We put on a family kids concert. We put on a massive kind of high profile, what I might call a normal concert as well, and it was a real joy, um, if a huge amount of work. And it was a real um, moment, I suppose, where I realised what an orchestra could do for its community when the community really loved it wanted it to be there and that was a that was a, that was the highlight for me mm, gosh that's such an incredible story yeah thank you so much for sharing it with us and 
Um, you know, before we finish, we have one question we're asking every guest on our podcast. If you could share just one piece of advice with people in the early stages of their career in the arts industry, what would that be? It's tough, this one, because, um, like I said earlier, it's a very difficult time at the moment. Um, and I suppose it's, it's, it's a simple thing, and I suppose many people might say this as well, but I would sh- uh, urge people to just keep going, because um, the opportunities uh, might be few and far between. Uh, the pay won't be very good. Um, the potential exploitation of you as a junior member of staff will be quite high and significant. Uh, and in many ways, I, I kind of need to apologise for, on behalf of the management of organisations, uh, f- for that type of thing. Um, but it is worth it because it is fun, because it is something that is uh, uh, you can be, get passionate about because it's not like a job as an estate agent. Forgive me if you've got friends who are estate agents. It's not like <laughs> a job as a traffic warden or uh, in local government or whatever it might be because you are doing something that is uh, both inspirational for yourself, it's fulfilling for you, but it's also uh, uh, entertainment, but entertainment in the best possible sense for those audiences that you are serving as well. And trying to keep a connection to that and recognising your part and the small part you might play as a cog in a bigger machine to deliver what is lovely, what is fun, what is enjoyable, what is impactful, what is useful, what is valuable, what is educational, what is helping people um, make sense of the world around them, which is what the arts and culture does. Uh, and your part in that is worth the difficult period that you will go through in those early stages. So I was made redundant. I was actually made redundant twice in the first two or three years of my career. Um, and I didn't get paid very well. And I had to travel all over the, uh, all over the country to get the jobs that I wanted to get. And, and it was difficult. And it was hard work. But it paid off because... I, I was deeply passionate, I suppose, about wanting to be in this. And I, even at that stage, could, could recognise the value of what I was doing for those people uh, that, that we were doing it for. And, and I just urge and encourage you to, to stick with it, because whilst it's difficult, it is, um, it is worth it long term. Mm. Thank you so much, Michael. No, that's such a, a brilliant message at the moment, just to keep going. Um, Well, you know, it's been so lovely chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, And I guess it's time to say goodbye for now. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Young People in the Arts podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more about YPIA, please visit ypia.co.uk or find us on social media.